the comments about uh, living your life now versus living your life for 20 years or 30 years from now just really resonated with me because, I mean, I could be a lawyer right now, right? I mean, I could be uh, working a, a regular job and making a, a lot more money than I do right now, I'll just say. That was Amelia Gardner. And we have a very long conversation. I'm just looking at my notes here about what we talked about. And I say, this conversation weaves all over the place. We're chattering like schoolgirls with many tangents. My name's Doug Cunnington, and this is The Doug Show. So Amelia has a YouTube channel, and I started seeing some videos pop up on my feed and checked out a few of her her videos. I saw she was publishing a lot and she was doing some interesting things. So I reached out to her to interview on my channel and on this podcast. The cool thing is she has an interesting background. So we talk about her entry into internet marketing and it came in sideways like a lot of people. So she was a lawyer for a few years and we hear you know, why she wanted to try to get into internet marketing and digital marketing, why she started a YouTube channel and things that have been working and not working so well. So she does a lot of case studies and that's one of the reasons why I reached out to her. There's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of noise on YouTube or on podcasts, on blogs, anywhere people can put out content and they fizzle out. A lot of times, in fact, I've been invited on to several podcasts where I showed up, did an hour, hour and a half long interview. Maybe I gave the person some tips on launching and lended my expertise and they didn't even publish it. They didn't launch the episode. They didn't launch the podcast at all. They didn't publish my episode. I ended up wasting time. But the cool thing with Amelia is she's been publishing and doing interesting things for a while. So like I said, I was like, hey, She's doing some interesting stuff, so I want to see what she's all about. This interview goes on for a pretty long time. I hope you find it interesting. There are a few links in the description to Amelia's channel. I encourage you to check it out. She's done some cool interviews with interesting people like Matt Diggity and John Dykstra, both very, very smart dudes, and I'll probably be on her channel sometime soon. So depending on when you're listening to this, it may be out there already. Before I send it over to the interview, I want to let you know that you should check out Ezoic. This podcast is brought to you in part by Ezoic, and I encourage you to check out their Site Speed Accelerator. It will really, really help your Google page insight scores. And I actually, I was having a little trouble improving my site speed on a particular site that I had not yet optimized. It was scoring somewhere in the high 20s to 30s out of 100. So that's pretty much terrible. And I plugged in the old site speed accelerator from Ezoic and it was scoring in the high 90s. So I got a 98 and a 99. I got a video out there on YouTube showing you the settings that I use, but it's pretty straightforward and it actually works. I've seen uh, several plugins out there, WordPress plugins particularly, where it looks like it should be easy to check a couple boxes and make the damn thing work, but I often have trouble with it and I check those boxes and the site, uh, the page speed insight tells me that I need to maybe lazy load. Maybe I need to minify. Have you heard these words before? You need to minify your CSS 
your HTML, maybe some of those other acronyms that we're not even really sure what they stand for. The point is the Site Speed Accelerator, it works pretty good. There's a seven-day free trial. There's a link in the description, so you could just check it out, see if it'll work out for you. It's free. There's no harm in giving it a shot. So without further ado, let's send it over to my interview with Amelia. Hey, what's going on? It's Doug Cunnington here for The Doug Show, and I'm with my new friend, Amelia. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Doug? Doing really good. And for the people that don't know you at all, could you give us like a short intro about who you are and what you're working on now? You said a short intro because it seems like it would be really hard for me to like like put that into something short. But basically, I'm like you. I'm a person who is, uh, I don't want to say middle-aged, but I'm headed that way. And I'm just in this place in my life where I want to make money online. I want to do it in the right way. And I want to replace my old job, my own career with this whole stuff online. And so as to what I'm doing... Um, how long you got? Like I could talk about what I'm doing <laughs> for days, but basically the summary of it is I'm, um, I'm trying to make money online, just like everybody else who's probably watching this. Very good. And you have a YouTube channel, so we'll, we'll back into it. I, I will segment it so we could have a more structured conversation here. So you have a YouTube channel and you are talking about a lot of different things, but one of the reasons why I invited you to do this interview is because you're doing case studies, which are generally hard to come by. And <laughs> a lot of people don't share case studies if they aren't like just home runs and you're sharing along the way, which is great. And you've built up uh, somewhat of a community. People like your videos, your channel's growing, and you're doing interesting stuff. So that's why I invited you here. Additionally, you left a what seemed to be like a successful career because your, your previous profession was in law. So can you tell us just, again, briefly, like you did some law stuff, right? How did, how did you get into lawyering? How did I get into lawyering? Well, um, that goes back way further than recently. You know, I was like, I was a kid 20 years ago and I decided that I wanted to do something that I thought my parents would like. And that's how I ended up in the practice of law. It was sort of one of those things where I was like, this sounds cool. Let's do it. Uh, without really giving a lot of thought or doing much investigating into whether or not there was any sort of quality of life. Like I just knew lawyers made a lot of money and I wanted to make a lot of money. And so I went to law school because that's how you make a lot of money. Um, but then I started practicing law and I realized that I owed a lot of money because law school cost a lot. And then, you know, quality of life, like there are definitely a lot of trade-offs for all that money that you made. I mean, as far as sacrifices in time and family and yeah, I mean, you had money, but there was no time to take a vacation. Like, okay, sure, you have two weeks of vacation, but you have so much stuff going on. Like, there's never a vacation when you're a lawyer. It's just flex time. Like, you do that work that you should have been doing. You just do it when you're not on vacation. So you work those 18-hour days to try to make up for that. And then my kids came, and I realized like, this is not a long-term thing. Like, I don't want to be working 18-hour days. I don't want to miss everything. I would rather make less money, take a giant pay cut, live super simple and try to make something else work. And so I can see my kids as much as possible. And so that is the primary motivation to moving to this whole, you know, make money online 
thing. Um, and honestly, though, when I got started doing this, I really never thought that it would be a career because when I got started, I didn't know that much about it. I had experimented with KDP a little bit. I was like, oh, this is a fun way to make a, a couple extra dollars self-publishing. And then I found that there's this whole community, like this whole world of people who were doing this for a living. And I was like, what? How is this not a scam? Like, this is a legitimate thing. And the more I dug and the more I dug, you know, I was super suspicious. I was like, this isn't real. Like, these people aren't really doing this. They're trying to sell me some crap. Um, but the more I dug, I started to find people like you and John Dykstra and these other folks in this, you know, I put up my fingers in my, my community that are really making a living doing this. And I was like, I want to be you guys. Like, I, I, I want to do what you're doing. And so that's pretty much what I do every day now is try to figure out how to do what you guys are doing and to do it as well as I can. Awesome. So let's get into some of the case studies and we may circle back to some of the like work, work life balance and some of the quality of life stuff. Cause that's interesting. And everyone is either they should be thinking about it or they are thinking, Hey, like I can reprioritize what I'm doing. I have some breathing room now and that sort of thing. So let's start For off sure. with the, uh, like AdSense, uh, case study. I, I believe you bought a few sites at one point and can you start at the, you know, the beginning of that and just tell us about what's been going on. Well, the, my YouTube channel, I, I'm not an expert, right? Like I'm, I would call myself not a beginner, um, but I, I wouldn't call myself a newbie, but I, I wouldn't put myself in a level of expertise where I feel comfortable like selling a course. Like I wouldn't make a course and say, do what I'm doing. Um, I feel like most of my attempts to start websites or to start online money-making activities have been experiments and every one of them um, I've learned from, and, you know, we haven't talked about this, but I have started lots of websites that didn't launch, like just completely failed to launch because I didn't know what I was doing or I needed to gain experience. And so this particular case study is one of those things. And the reason I started it was because last year in about February, I bought John Dykstra's uh, blogging course that was $47 a year and he's not offering it anymore. And it's sad because it was so great for the money. It wasn't $997. It was $47 for a year and it was laid out so well and so simple. And I saw it and I was like, I could do this, right? Like I could do this. This is not um, a funnel and it's not an autoresponder and it's not uh, solo ads and all the rest. Like this is just the model of, start a website, a simple, um, good looking theme, um, you know, a simple domain and not a lot of plugins and just start creating content, you know, focusing on long tail, low competition keywords with the purpose of monetizing it with display ads, with AdSense or uh, Azoic or Monumetric, whenever you get there. But instead of focusing on money keywords, you know, that the folks who are doing Amazon affiliate stuff with, like look for the informational keywords and then try to get as much traffic as possible because you're targeting keywords that the the marketers, that the money makers, um, the shakers aren't targeting because technically they seem like keywords that you couldn't make money from. And so the goal is to build as much traffic as you can and the rest. And I thought, okay, this sounds like a simple plan. I don't need to do anything other than sit down and write blog posts. And so I just basically implemented everything that he said to do in that $47 course. And then my case study, you know, is going back month on month and just tracking, okay, here's what I managed to post. Uh, here's what sort of traffic I'm seeing, you know, here's what I'm doing and whether or not that was a good idea. And, and then just, I'm in month 10 
of this. So I just uploaded month 10 of this. I started it back in April. And so far, I think the strategy is working. Um, you know, I've gotten to date for this in 10 months, I've had what 60,000 page views in 10 months for a brand new site, you know, and the growth of the site basically followed what I expected to see, uh, you know, we talk about whether or not the sandbox exists, like people say, oh, it does, or oh, it doesn't. But, you know, the first couple months, I didn't see any traffic. And then just over time, um, I've seen a lot of growth. And now I'm just like kicking myself because I got like three months in, right? And you're in the sandbox and, you know, I wasn't seeing a lot of growth. And I published like close to 200 articles, right? Like almost 200 articles in three months. Some of it I outsourced because I was experimenting, you know, with some of the things that John talked about in his course. And then at month three, I ran out of gas. I was like this, I don't know if this is going to work. Like I'm not seeing traffic and obviously I'm not seeing money because I'm not monetizing it with uh, any of their affiliate programs. And I got approved for AdSense right away, you know, like a month away, right? So AdSense is on there, but I've got like, three or four pennies that I made in July. And so I figured I would just put it down and I would be patient. And I went to work on YouTube for a bit. And then I checked back in like September and I wanted to slap myself because of course, all those articles that I had produced started to see traffic. And then, you know, it was really hard to turn the motor on again because I was so involved in YouTube, but uh, just continuing to watch that site grow. And I was like, ah, I better get back on this. So in January, I started creating content for it again. It's like, okay, you know, this is a long-term asset, right? It's not like something that I'm just going to turn around and flip tomorrow, something that I'm hoping to build and build and build and hang on to for a while until I can get it to something, someplace where I want to sell it, or if it's just something that earns money every month. So and can you share the like traffic for like last month, which would be January of 2020? Sure. Um, I had, what was it? 16,000 users and uh, just over 17,000 page views. Um, a lot of people are coming to the site and answering, getting their questions answered. And then I'm having to work on strategies to keep them on the site because a lot of it is informational, right? They go there and they get the answer to the question and then they're not that interested and going into the rest of the site. So, you know, I have the related post plugin, which seems to be only kind of effective. A lot of people go to the homepage, which I think is unusual because um, a lot of people just bounce right back. But I'm seeing a lot of people clicking on the logo to go back to home and looking at the front page. So I'm working on creating kind of, I put up my air quotes, like binge worthy content on the homepage to say, okay, if somebody went there, maybe they wouldn't find that content with the Google search, but maybe it would be clickbaity enough and good enough where they would click on it and then stay to try to improve those other Google analytics metrics, you know, like the bounce rate and the time on site and, and all that stuff. So that's actually what I'm working on in the last couple of days is um, putting up more of like a journal that isn't really going to be found with organic search, but it's something that people see that and they're like, Oh, you know, that's interesting. It's maybe I wouldn't have found it any other way, but maybe it will suck them in. And I guess I'll just see if anybody actually clicks on those posts, you know, or not. Cause I'll know, you know, if they were there or not. The smart. And I, I mean, I agree with what you said. Like, I don't think many people like after they have their, their problem solved, they're not, looking around to waste time generally mm -hmm. by clicking on your homepage and then like, uh, what can I, you know, just avoid doing work or whatever. I guess a lot of people do that. Cause now that I'm saying it, I'm like, ah, sometimes I go to Instagram and I just endlessly scroll as I'm trying to waste time. But rarely do I go to a home, like find a site, 
have my problem solved, get the information, then go to the homepage. So interesting. Yeah, well, that's why, that's why I don't really um, like worry too much about the bounce rate in Google Analytics, like a, an almost 100% bounce rate. Um, really doesn't bother me that much because it doesn't mean that people aren't getting what they need from my site. It just means that they are going back. And that's actually one thing that I really love about Zoic because their bounce rate metric um, only triggers if somebody stays on the site for less than a certain amount of time. So they'll call it a bounce if somebody um, bounces before 30 seconds have passed or something or 10 seconds, I forget what it is. And then they won't call it a bounce if somebody stays longer than 30 seconds. So my bounce rate for this site is like 94% in Google Analytics, but in Azoic, it's under 20%. So 80% of the people who come to my site stay at least 30 seconds, which to me, I don't think that that counts as a bounce. And they also call it a navigational bounce. So if somebody gets there and they're like, oh, crap, I don't want to be there. And they click back right away. That's also another metric that Google Analytics doesn't give us. And that's why I'm obsessed with Azoic right now. Cool. Yeah. I like Ezoic. I am a friend of theirs. So, okay. So any other like notable stuff on the, like the AdSense uh, case study? Oh, you mean notable? Like notable, like I try all kinds of things and uh, it either does nothing or um, I can't really tell one way or another, whether or not it's having a positive impact. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that I'm trying out, but yeah. How about, um, how about a couple of those um, like things where you're like, Hey, I was going to test it out and this clearly did not work. Or, or I could just clearly not tell uh, one way or another because, you know, I have a site that's on a traffic, you know, range like this. And so I say, okay, let's, see about buying a backlink from the Hoth, which I did in November. I thought, okay, like they're on sale. Let's just try this out. And then, um, you know, never having done it before, I say, okay, let's just try this. And so I went there and bought a backlink and I didn't spend top dollar. I just spent one of, you know, one of the lower ones. I'm just like sticking my toes in, right? So so it was $150. I thought, let's try this. And then, um, you know, it was went like clockwork. They said, oh, thank you very much. You'll have your backlink within 30 days. And I got the report. And I don't know. I, I cannot tell one way or another whether it did a single thing. Like I see the link in Google Search Console. Like I can see the link on, you know, the website. But can I tell whether any of the growth that I have had is the is, is result of that? Like I have no clue, like whatsoever, like literally, I, I mean, I probably shouldn't have spent that money. I probably should have not have bothered, but you know, that's one of those things. Well, and I was going to say, do you have a way to, to, to check that in the future? So now you've identified, Hey, it's pretty hard to tell if a backlink helps. So I think that if I ever got to a place where the, the site wasn't growing, but it was stabilized, like it was flat like if the site was ever at that point where it wasn't uh, flat or maybe if it was going down, the thing is, is like when you're continually adding content, like do you really know whether or not it's the new content? I mean, obviously you can go and check um, analytics to see the pages, like the specific pages, what sort of traffic they are getting. But just overall, like if the site is about the same, you know, that could be a good time to try adding like one link, right? Just one at a time and then watching it for a couple of months without changing anything else. But if you're constantly testing and constantly changing things, like, how do you know? And that's the thing about the algorithm updates, right? Like people, you know, their site takes a hit and they're like, like, what do I do? And then they change everything, right? They're like, I need more content and I need backlinks and I need to disavow this and I need to add this. And then 
then what? Like, what was the thing? Like, what was wrong? Like, we have no idea. So I, that's actually been something that I've had to work on is being patient and trying to do maybe one thing at a time rather than a hundred things. Because if I really want to know what's working or what's not, like I have to slow down. And that was one thing that was really hard with AdSense when I first got started because, you know, you want to test out the, the ad positions, right? The, you put the ad unit here and then you put one here and then you watch it for like two days. And you're like, okay, maybe if I move it here, it'll be better. But two days is not long enough as, as far as testing the performance and how that is a good place or not. You have to wait. Like, you should wait a month, I think, at least. Like, put it there and then watch the stats on it for a month and then move one, not three of them, not four of them, not ten of them, just one. And a couple observations. And uh, number one, <laughs> and I'll, I'll ask you a question. There's a question at the at the end of this. But sure, um, sure. there are over 200 um, ranking factors with Google and um, yes, we're usually, hopefully, doing multiple things at the same time that are beneficial. So yeah, it's like virtually untraceable unless you have like a super like scientific way to do this. Which there, you know, there are people um, like Kyle Roof and the, and the people um, in the, the IMG group over there. We'll, we'll link up to it. But basically, like you can run tests in a scientific way, make it repeatable, do all that stuff. And, um, you know, my position has been consistent that, uh, links are helpful. You should like move forward with links, but yeah, in the, like, I guess the way you explained, uh, your particular link, um, it may or may not have helped like any specific given link may or may not help, but pretty sure like over time. And if you go just do research in the wild in a, you know, uncontrolled environment, you see generally sites with more links, they're doing better. And there's a chicken or the egg situation happening too. But uh, yeah, I I mean, links help. So and I'll just I mean, are you of the, um, I guess, strategy to just not worry about links? Or are you like, hey, you should have an active approach with link building outreach and so forth? I think that I probably run the middle on that. I, I agree with you. I think that links are a powerful signal to um, all of the all of the world out there that content should be in a particular place or not. Um, I don't actively spend a lot of time hunting down links just because I feel like for this ad revenue situation where it's like a content push, like the more content you have out there, the more traffic you want to get. Um, and for me, the return at this point, at least with this particular case study, is better spent uh, putting um, out more content because it could take a whole day. Sometimes you go and you try to hunt down a guest post and then, um, you know, get the content written for them and then go back and forth on the edits and the rest. And I have tried this, like going out and, you know, looking for sites in the same niche and then emailing them or filling out their write for us page and then, uh, you know, just getting, uh, hearing nothing back, right. They don't even respond to you or they respond to you and say, you know, we're not interested or, you know, you need to pay us a, a whole bunch of money. And, and I'm like, I could have cranked out three articles for this. And so I think when I, um, for me, as far as backlinking now, I'm thinking more about natural links rather than going out and buying them or finding them. So thinking of content that people would just want to link to 
um, you know, not necessarily uh, long form content, but things that would be cool to link to. Like somebody would see it on Pinterest and say, hey, I, I would want to link to that. Like, I think printables, for example, are something that are really underserved on a lot of websites that people don't even think of. They think of infographics, right, that, that have that somebody would want to put on their page. But printables, these resources that people could print out and hang up on their walls or use as like checklists, they seem like they would be useful in any niche. Like uh, you had an outdoor uh, site, you could do a printable checklist for packing for camping, packing for mountaineering, packing for whatever. And that's something that people would want to save. Like, oh, that's really interesting. I would like to come back to that. Or it would be, you know, wanting to share that on my own website because I don't feel like creating it myself. Um, things that people, uh, for kids, like if you have any sort of website that involves children or families, like things that you can print out for kids to do, things that, that have the lines that people could fold up, uh, things that you could color, things that you could post on the wall. Like those are uh, simple things that you wouldn't necessarily have to buy, like have somebody create. Like you could go on Canva and use their um, their fonts, right? The block fonts and create things that kids could color or uh, you could draw them. Like if you have any sort of skill whatsoever, like the parents, I'm a parent, right? So this is something that I'm constantly already hunting for myself, like things that just are neat for the kids to color in that maybe are unusual, that are science-based, that are um, just, you're not going to find anywhere else. And it doesn't take a lot of money. So I think, okay, I could spend $500 on a, a DA, you know, domain authority of a bajillion, Right. Or I could probably spend um, a couple dollars, you know, with, on Fiverr, outsource that or even sit and just do it myself and create 20 of these and then maybe get links from some of these really um, high authority blogs that that could use them. So um, so am I actively going out and buying uh, links? I'm not because I don't want to spend a whole lot of big money on my site until it is earning, right? Maybe once I, you know, let's say I'm, I'm pulling in 50 grand a month, like, sure, I'll go and spend money and outsource on the rest. But for now, I'm super conservative on spending money. Um, I saw your interview with Ron uh, Stefanski, Stefanski about his um, blog that he created kind of on the same timeline that, that I did. And he said that he had dropped, what, $15,000 on it. And I think my jaw almost like fell off, right? Cause we're not actually that far away from the number of page views or whatever. I think mine is like 600 and some a month and he's at 800 page views a month. And you guys talk about time and money, like exchanging time for money. You have one or the other, or whatever I've invested my time. He's invested his money, but I was like, man, 15 grand. I was like, Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's easy to let it, uh, you know, get away and, a couple things. So good points on creating sort of like natural um, assets that are linkable that people actually mm -hmm. want to link to. And quick clarification, I don't necessarily like say that you should go buy links or you can do that if you have the budget like uh, Ron or someone else who has the budget. Um but if you naturally do it through like relationship building, then usually mm -hmm. you can get good links and then mm -hmm. you're part of a network and that is a much better way to do it. And I think a lot of people fall into the trap of, hey, you know, I hear I need to get links. I'll go to Fiverr and I'll mm -hmm. get some guest posts for 15 bucks a piece. And then they end up like m maybe it works 
for like a little while and they get more traffic and then they'll get penalized or they'll run into some issue. So, okay, cool. Well, what I, I wanted to say though, um, just my sort of YouTube community, I, I've talked to a lot of people who are right around where I am, right? They're in the first year of a new site and they maybe are following other, um, other methods, right? Like I, like the project 24 guys, like I really like their stuff and I respect the hell out of them. Um, and they're, you know, but a lot of their students are coming to me and we talk about links just offline or like on Facebook and I said, Hey, you know what? Um, you know, do you need a backlink? Like, you know, we have a similar niche and you, you know, we'll try to work something out. Um, not reciprocal. It's just like, I want to help you. Right. And they're like, I can't do backlinks. I'm, I'm not going to do that. My site will just explode. Like they're literally afraid to do any link building whatsoever because they think that doing it will automatically tank their site. And I, I think there are a lot of people out there just because of um, maybe some of the strong approaches that other people are taking about how links are bad and how links are going to ruin your site because Google is going to update you and destroy you. And you've seen all these horror stories about sites just tanking because of, uh, you know, probably bad backlink practices. I mean, they're just afraid. Like they said, no, no, they're, thank you so very much, but I don't want your link, which to me is like, okay, like there's gotta be some balance. I don't see how a website could grow without at least some links. I mean, you gotta have something. And just, uh, anecdotally, how's the traffic on those sites? Are they like, Hey, we're doing pretty good. No links. Not yet. Like this growing really, really slow, really, really, really slow. Shocking, right? I mean, uh, like, I, I don't know. There's a lot of dogma, like, in one direction or to the other. And some people are like, hey, I'll get links however I need to get them. I'll pay for them. I'll do whatever. And then on the other side, it's like, hey, don't ever do it. And it, I mean, from the standpoint of, like, purely a natural, uh, like, piece of content or a, a fully, like, natural blog where someone's writing, um, just whatever they want to write about and they get, cause I, I've actually been bumping into people in the like personal finance space. And a lot of them do just write about like whatever they want to write about that's helpful without regard to keyword research, link building, and they don't even care. They're doing fine. So there's, yeah. there's many ways to, to, to do it. But I think the, the networking piece always network, but that's a good thing to do. So. Well, you know, for my site personally, like I didn't pursue or really get any links in the first, like natural links, even in the first five or six months. So, you know, at six months, I was seeing traffic of a couple thousand page views a month by then. Um, so I think it can be done. Honestly, I do think it can be done. I do think you can get out of the sandbox and get going without that. But it has to be super low competition, like the lowest competition possible type keywords, because if you have anyone that has any more authority than you, they're going to take that keyword from you. They're going to take the number one, two, three spot from you. And you just completely summarized like the point of like why one should do some link building or at least network. Cause like if you are friends with people and you do put out a good piece of content, they may link, link to your site. So, okay. Okay. Moving on to, uh, let's see, one of your other case studies. I know you have a, a couple, a uh, couple oh, yeah. more. Well, so. you know, the, the things that in the last year I have published on as far as things I'm trying out was one was this particular case study based upon buying John Dykstra's blogging course. And then last year, um, around the time that I burned out on my case study, I was like, okay, I have money burning a hole in my pocket. 
I want to try buying site, right? I want to see what it's like to try and jump over, you know, the first two years of building a site, buy something that is already earning. What does that process look like? You know, is it, you go to these, uh, you go to Empire Flippers or FE International and, you know, they've got these sites that are, they just look wonderful, right? They, like they're, they're established sites and the brokers, they do all this vetting for you. And it's supposed to be so much more trustworthy than going to someplace like Flippa, which is full of crap and scammers. And so, you know, what is that process like? And I never bought a site and I'm not technical at all. Right. So, you know, the, like migration and um, you know, I'm just kind of looking down the road and saying, okay, if this case study is something that I have that eventually I may want to sell, you know, what does this process look like? I've always been of the mind, like, until you um, can do something really well, like you can't hire someone else to do it because you can't manage them. So I was like, okay, um, one day I want to sell this site and uh, maybe I'll have a broker help me do it. Or maybe I'll have a, a tech person help me migrate it. But until I've learned a bit about how to do it, then how will I know they're not taking me for a ride? How will I know that these are fees are worthwhile or not? And so I thought, all right, I'm going to invest. I just spent a hundred and $50,000 on law school when I was a kid. Why not spend some money on myself and this experience? And it'll be dramatically less than going to business school, right? So I went to Empire Flippers and I and I also checked out Flippa and I went to the Shopify marketplace and I basically trolled everywhere that I could find that was listing sites for sale and eventually um, entered into uh, negotiations on a site on Empire Flippers and I bought it. It was a site that was under $50,000 and went through that whole process and I've owned it since July. And that has been a, an incredible learning experience. Um, it basically uh, sort of was a kickstart into the whole world of website investing, uh, you know, we're buying a, an established earning website and, you know, the ups and downs and the risks of doing that and the potential benefits of doing that and how that works out. And it's been, um, it's been really interesting and really fun. So you bought something from empire flippers and I've, I've done some business uh, with them. They're, they're good folks. And they, they actually helped me like get my start through their podcast. So I listened to like the early days um, or at least my early days, but they had a couple years of podcasts out there. So cool. So you got the site and then did you have a plan on growing it or doing more stuff with it? Like what, what was your plan? So, you know, if you've been to Empire Flippers or any of these brokers, they often have uh, different types of sites, the different categories, you know, they have their SaaS sites and their FBA sites and their, content sites and all the rest. And I bought um, a site that was monetized through AdSense and no other affiliate sites. So I, I brought it in. I thought, all right, you know, here's what it is earning. And, you know, the, the plan was to try to do more of what was already working for the site, which was at the time to just continue to publish content on that particular topic. They, uh, the seller provided, you know, uh, operating procedures and said, this is how I structure every single post. This is where I get the keywords. I mean, it was in a niche that I wasn't that familiar with, but I was super confident in my abilities to learn enough about the niche to be able to at least write about it because I'm a good researcher. And I thought, okay, I could do this. And so I 
did. I started creating content for the site that was very similar to um, what the, the the seller had made, even though it wasn't really in my style and just the stuff that I had learned because I wanted to keep doing what it was that he had done. And then I went and found an affiliate program that fit in with it and then added that. And it hasn't made a ton of money. It's added maybe somewhere between 5 and $50 a month on top of what it was earning before. But it's still just like one more thing that over time you hope that you would grow and then it would become more. Um, I didn't want to make any giant changes to it. Like, Oh, I'm not going to change the theme and I'm not going to change the content and the rest. Cause I was really afraid of destroying it. Right. You know, you have something that's already earning and you don't want to go in there necessarily and make too many changes to it because you know, who knows what Google's going to do with it, right? They, they may say, oh, well, this isn't what it was as it was before, and we're going to change the rank of all your posts, and then you lose all your traffic. And and plus, I just don't know enough, right? Like, I'm not an expert. I'm not an SEO genius. I don't know how to test everything. So I, you know, was just trying to do little things at a time. And I worked on it, um, I would say, pretty consistently for about six months, and then just decided to kind of put it down and just watch it for a bit. And in hindsight, I wish I had done that from the beginning because I was super fired up to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to 10 X this thing. Right. <laughs> I don't know why everybody loves to use like 10 X, like this arbitrary. 10X. Like, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Right. And what I wish I had done, and I would advise anybody who's buying something in the future to do this, which is get it migrated and then sit on it and watch it because there's so much that happens during migration and there's so many changes. And then when you start making changes, you, you don't necessarily know the impact of those changes. Like we talked about earlier. So you would want to do one thing at a time rather than 10 things at a time. And, you know, now looking back, um, it's hard to say, you know, whether anything that I did at all was a good investment in my time or my money, because I was doing all kinds of things to a site that had just been migrated. And needed to settle down. So, um, it, have I been doing a good job? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I literally have no idea. And I think, well, that's common, um, especially like it was your first purchase of a site and, and the migration and all that stuff. Speaking of which, did you find as a non-technical person, was it uh, difficult, hard, confusing during the migration? And do you have a handle on it now that you've, you know, owned it for many months? Well, the upside of using a broker versus going through someone like Flippa is they handle the migration. So, you know, they basically get all the passwords and then they just do all of that stuff. And if you don't have an opinion about how things are supposed to go where you want it, they'll just do it for you. Um, so as far as doing the migration, I mean, I didn't, I didn't handle a lot of that. And actually before I bought this site, um, I had sort of had the same experience where I just wanted to know how to do things. And so I actually started this process over at Flippa. Like I hunted over on Flippa for about three months looking for a content site that somebody, um, specifically I was looking for sites that were started by beginners who, you know, barely got the site out of the sandbox, maybe got some backlinks, but, or maybe got a bunch of content up there, but never really figured out how to monetize it, or they just ran out of gas, gave up. I think that's really common for people to start things. And then right around the year mark, when their hosting and domain are going to expire, they're like, whatever. And that is a prime time to pick up a site that has content that hasn't been monetized at all, because you have a year of content, you know, and the content may be good or not. I mean, 
you're going to look at each site, but still like, that's a great time to pick up a site from somebody when they're just like, I don't know what I'm doing or I don't care anymore. Or I want to work on this other niche. So that's what I was looking for. And I did find one of those sites that was uh, two and a half years old and it had um, 180 posts on it already. And um, the individual had worked on it really hard and um, he couldn't figure out how to get it approved for AdSense. Um, his, uh, navigation was just too complicated. He had way too many plugins on there and just, um, had said, Oh, you know, I, 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 um, I haven't gone through AdSense because it slows down the site too much. And it was clear to me after getting a hold of it that he just had never been able to get it approved for AdSense because he didn't know how. And it was just a couple simple things. And I got it approved for AdSense right away. And, uh, and then, you know, it's just something that I've got in the stable now, but it was something I had to migrate myself. Because, the, you know, on Flippa, there are no people to do that. And that's probably one of the reasons why I won't go through Flippa again, because there are so many times when you have to really trust that that seller is legit because there's nobody in the middle, right? You give your money to Flippa and they'll hold it in the, the escrow or whatever. But, uh, you know, they have to trust that these people will actually give you the passwords to the Facebook social. And then, you know, they're every day, you know, emailing you like once an hour, like, can I have my money? can I have my money? I'm ready for my money. And then you're like, Oh God, like, do I have everything? I don't even know. Uh, you know, and I was so new to this. Right. So I bought the site. I'm like, Ooh, I just bought a site. And then he's like, okay. And I was like, so what happens? <laughs> like, how do we do it? Like, I don't know. Like, what am yeah. I supposed to do? Are you going to do this? And so then it was like, okay, I had to just jump in and figure out. And he, he took the, the bull by the horns, thankfully. And he's like, all right, well, um, I'll transfer the domain to you, which he needed to do anyway. And I think in hindsight, this was probably his first time too, because he didn't know either, but he transferred the domain over. And then uh, with the hosting, um, a lot of times with hosting, you're just able to take over the account, um, transferring, you know, the whole site and doing the, you know, the download of all the stuff and then uploading it somewhere else. Like I didn't even realize this, uh, that it's a lot of times the hosting account will just let you change over all the details. Like they'll just let you give the account to someone else. But in the future, I would be asking, okay, you know, where is your domain name being held? And then who is your hosting provider to see if it would easy, if it, you know, if they have SiteGround like I do, or if they have DreamHost like I do. Because of all this buying and stuff I've done lately, I have like five different hosting accounts. I have Bluehost, I have SiteGround, I have WPX, I have DreamHost, and I can't even remember the last one. I have so many of them. <laughs> Yeah, it gets complicated fast. And I think, well, I want to jump back because I had a couple people email me recently. They said, hey, I don't know how to get my site approved for AdSense. So what do you have any quick tips um, based on what you learned in that approval? Um, you know, the, the thing about that is they want to see it as simple as possible. So sites that have a lot of uh, widgets and a lot of things that are complicated, um, are going to have a harder time getting through. Um, the They're really concerned about fake clicks or um, accidental clicks. And so they don't like menus that pull down, right? So up there across the bar, you have the thing that says category and you, you click on it or you uh, mouse over it and then it drops down. If it drops over an ad, they're going to deny you outright because they that could lead to confusing um, or accidental clicks, which harms their revenue and harms their legitimacy because they don't want advertisers, you know, coming back and saying, Hey, I want, I want my money back for this paid click because these aren't real clicks. These are fake clicks. So navigation, I think is a really big problem for folks. Um, 
A lot of people apply without having a privacy policy or terms of service on there. You're going to get denied outright without a privacy policy or the legal stuff. It doesn't have to be complicated at all. But if you don't put that on there, I'm in a, a Facebook for bloggers uh, group and people are saying all the time, I applied for AdSense and I got denied. I don't know why. And the most common reason people get denied is they just don't have a privacy policy on there. Like that is going to get you ding no matter what. Um, sites that have... Um, a high, high amount or almost all affiliate content where all the links and all your posts are to affiliate offers are probably going to get denied. Even if it's um, on, a, in a, on a topic that is uh, not in violation of the terms of service, if it's just all affiliate content, like all you are doing is promoting products and not really offering any other types of information or value, um, it doesn't necessarily violate any of their rules, but they're not going to be interested in serving ads on your page because it's just all advertising. Um, people don't realize that they're, they might have content on their website that violates the terms of service, especially if they buy a big site, there might be one page in there that is about gambling or about alcohol or whatever. AdSense has moved, uh, instead of, um, saying, oh, we're just going to, you know, ban your whole site. You know, they say, oh, well, we'll just not show ads on any page that has these particular keywords or whatever, which is fine. But when you're trying to get through um, in the beginning, you don't want to give them any reason at all to not let you in because if they can find a reason not to let you in, they will. They're just like, no, nah, you just, you're just not interested. And you get that email and it has no instructions whatsoever about what you did wrong or how to fix it. She says, your website doesn't meet our needs at this time. And then you're like, okay. What does that mean? I don't know how to fix this. Perfect. Those are great tips. So simple navigation, uh, terms of service or privacy, oh. and then making sure that there's no like questionable content anywhere, especially if it's a big site. Okay. Yeah. Also make sure you have an actual contact us either page or some way that people could get a hold of you. So if you don't have any sort of email listed or contact us spot, um, you know, they, people say, oh, well, you need to have an about page that explains who you are and, and what you're about. Like, I do that, but I don't know one way or another whether it matters. And also people say, oh, you need to have a, a premium theme. And I say, oh, well, I don't know that it needs to be a paid theme. It just needs to look good. Like if it looks like crap, um, even though everything else might be fine, you might not get through. It's a very good point. I think... A simple, I mean, you talked about with the navigation that having complicated navigation is not good to get approved for AdSense, but it's also like a, just kind of a dumb thing to do. Like why have a complicated, huge menu? Like that is mm -hmm. mind boggling to me because a lot of people are on like mobile devices. Like what are you going to do with a big menu on a mobile device? Mm -hmm. it, it's almost unusable. So yeah, I think when I, if I were to start again um, with a brand new site or a site that I had bought, when I went to uh, apply for AdSense, I would strip all the ads off of it. Like if I was using another ad network or I was putting um, ads through some other provider of rev content or whatever, I would just strip all of the ads off of it and then just go down to bare bones. Like here's the content. Um, this is what it looks like. And then once you get approved and once you get through, I mean, there's no rules against putting other ad networks on your site like you could i run azoic and adsense ads at the same time a lot of people run different uh ad networks on there but i would just strip everything off before applying cool youtube so 
why did you start a YouTube channel? It sounded like you had a lot of stuff going on already. You know, um, I started YouTube in August of 2018. It was back when I um, was first getting started and um, I fell into the, the ClickFunnels rabbit hole, right? Like Alice in Wonderland, like I was a KDP and then I came across an ad for ClickFunnels and then I just went right down the rabbit hole, like just so far stupidly down the rabbit hole. And I, uh, I found, actually did find some success and made the money back that I, I invested into, you know, having the ClickFunnels uh, software, you know, for a couple of months and buying solo ads and um, setting up an email responder and using click magic, right? Like I gained a ton of experience from this, but uh, I, you know, I went down this rabbit hole of starting Facebook groups and spending all your time like going on Facebook live and doing all these things. And it was in the middle of this shitstorm. The, the technical term for this, I would call it <laughs> life shitstorm that I discovered that I had a giant Achilles heel. And that was that while I was a good speaker, you know, I've been a lawyer for 10 years and I, I don't have any problems talking to you right now. I can express myself really well, but I had this giant fear of being on camera and seeing myself, like seeing my face and hearing my voice being played back. Um, it was overwhelming. Right. And I found when I joined this Facebook group where they required that you introduce yourself live to the group. And I cried. It was awful. Right. Like I just had this overwhelming, like people are going to see and people are going to see my face and they're going to realize that my teeth aren't straight and that I have this giant nose. And that, you know, it's just like, it was, it was paralyzing and it gives me the vapors now even thinking back about it because it was horrible right and i and i i realized that i had this giant fear and and i at the time i was looking at click funnels and people like oh to be in a good affiliate marketer you have to be able to do video and i was like oh my god i can't do it i'm gonna fail right like like I can't do it. I can't go on video. I'm going to be hiding forever, you know? And um, so I was like, you know what? The best way to deal with this is to hit it head on. And um, at the time I had um, accidentally like ClickFunnels is all over the place, right? Like I love their, the ideas and the energy or whatever, but I, um, I bought their um, hundred days uh, thing, right? The book. And I thought it was great, but they, accidentally sent me the um, little mp4 player for funnel, funnel hacking live like the bonus package for when you bought a funnel hacking live ticket for a thousand dollars or whatever they sent everybody the show notes or whatever from the years before and then an mp4 player of all of the presentations for the last four years or five years or something and so i started listening to it of course because it was free and i'm always outside with my kids and there was um, all of garrett white's content on it. And Garrett White is not my people, right? He's this white dude who's creating content for uh, businessmen who are white dudes with families, right? So not a lot of it resonated, but he explained how he got started. And he said, you know, when I first got started, he says, I started with my phone and I put it up there and I just started talking to people. And, and half the time you couldn't see my face on the screen. And, and most of the time people ridiculed me, like just left comments on it and told me how awful I was and said, but I went back and did it every day and every day and every day. And over time I got better and I got better and I got better. And I was like, all right, let's do this. So that's what I did. <laughs> I started going on YouTube. And if you go to my YouTube page, you can see my first video. And I think I'm wearing this shirt. And I think I spent a lot of it going like this. 
And then at the end of the video, you see me and it's like a minute long, right? And at the end of the video, like I have recorded myself trying to turn it off. And I was like, <laughs> this thing like turn off, right? And then, um, and then I left it there because over time I got better at it and I figured, okay, well, if somebody else is like me who, who can do this, but is just has anxiety about it, um, maybe they'll go back and watch that video and they'll laugh at me kind of like I laugh at me now, but, um, you know, it's just, it, that's why I started YouTube, you know, that's why I started. It's not why I do it now, but I started it then because I felt like I had this weakness that I had to improve. And it bothered me that something was getting the best of me. It was getting, um, it was better than me. And at the time I perceived it as something that was a hurdle from, uh, to keep keeping me from succeeding this whole make money online shitstorm. So that's why I started YouTube. Interesting. And I find it very interesting because I, I don't do uh, public speaking. I think I'm getting better at it as I'm doing it a little bit more because that's how things work. But it's interesting that you were nervous to talk to a laptop or, you know, your webcam. Because I could see my face. <laughs> right. Still it's different. If, if I yeah. couldn't see, if I could just see you and not see my face, I could do it, but I could see myself. And then I was super critical, right? Because I was looking at myself and then, you know, to edit it, you have to play it back and then look at yourself. And I was like, what, who is that? That is not how I sound. That is not, I mean, you know, I just, I'm not the person who stares in the mirror a lot, right? Like I don't wear makeup. There's no makeup here. You know, some people like they like to look at themselves and get ready. I throw on a shirt, put on my glasses, and I'm out the door. Right? I didn't do that stuff. <laughs> yeah. But but the I guess the point that I was trying to make is more that you were you're fine speak. I mean, you were uh, a lawyer, so you talk to a lot of people. Communication well, is I very thousands of people at a time. Like I've talked to like thousands of people all at once, but I couldn't speak to myself. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, very, very interesting because most people are very scared to go speak in front of even a small group of people. Some folks will just like melt down in the same way that you, you know, that you mentioned. So cool. Well, at this point, why are you doing YouTube? Well, I continue to do YouTube now because of a couple of reasons. One is I say, okay, um, it fits into my overall financial scheme of having multiple income streams. So eventually I'd like to grow it to a point where it was producing at least some money because having been, I don't want to say the victim, but being the victim of the Google, right, doing its thing. Like I know that it's better. I'm better off having income coming from different places if this is ultimately going to be where I settle as far as my career, right? My online career. Like I don't want to put all my eggs in just one basket because if one of them gets decimated, hopefully I can still be earning from other places. So one, it fits that mold is eventually get some sort of revenue in coming from it. Um, two is, uh, you know, I'm sitting here in my, my office, right? Like my space, like it looks super clean, but it's really full of kids crap. It's just all over there. Um, but I'm by myself and I have always worked in offices. I've always worked in teams and, um, you know, I just, I had a really hard time sitting at home by myself and getting motivated. Um, I never realized how much I got from being able to go to the water cooler or stand around the coffee machine with my colleagues and, and talking about what we were doing and, and learning from each other saying, okay, like I am filing this thing. Like, what do I do? Or how do I do it? Or when you did it, how did it work? And, um, you know, I just wasn't finding, um, a lot of that banter or that discussion in Facebook groups. I mean, it seems like, 
I don't want to say all, but most of the Facebook groups that are make money online groups are um, people who want to be affiliate marketers who want to sell affiliate marketing products. So they want to sell the make money online dream to other people. And there are people who are doing a great job at this and, and selling a high quality product and other people who treat it like a, sort of an MLM, like just get more people in to get more people in to get more people in. And that's not really what I'm, I'm doing. I, I'm not interested in selling uh, make money online products. Uh, maybe one day in the future, I'll sell a product that's similar to the one that, that, like gave me my initial boost, right? That how I do what it is that I do. Um, but I, I wasn't finding that. And, and on, like you said earlier about case studies, like there are people out here who are sharing case studies, but in most cases, they're the success stories, right? Somebody who's already got $1,000 a month or $10,000 a month or $50,000 a month and finding the people who were in the beginning who were like, I'm doing this wrong. Um, or I tried this and I don't know what I'm doing. Um, Maybe one, those people uh, like me don't share these things because one, they don't know if there's anybody who is like them. Two, they might be shy of going on YouTube and starting their own channel because it is putting yourself out there and opening yourself up for the trolls to come and and talk, you know, say bad things uh, about you or leave nasty grams. You don't know what you're doing. I was like, I don't need you to tell me I don't know what I'm doing. I know. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, so I decided to continue to push through on YouTube to try and find those people who were like me and sort of gather us together. Like, I know I'm not at expert level and I'm not ready to sell a course. And my affiliate marketer friends who hopefully some of you guys are watching this um, are constantly after me, like you need an email list and, and you need to, you know, have a, a, you know, at least a freebie or something to get people on like, you know, I just don't feel ready to do that. I, I want people to come to this channel for the reason that I'm there, which is uh, to be in a community of like-minded people who want to grow things. And I think a lot of us are coming to this model because we're tired of being sold to all the time. And we're tired of people um, who take our interaction and our presence in their, um, in their community as the, um, as the go ahead to constantly try to sell us stuff. Uh, yeah, there are great Facebook groups out there for affiliate marketing. These guys and gals are sharing value and they are teaching and they're doing so many great things. But a lot of these groups are, let me hammer you with an offer and here's another one and here's another one. And you join their email list and they send you 25 emails a day saying, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this. And I'm like, that's, that's not helpful. That, that overwhelms me. And I, I guess maybe I've just gone the other way because I was so immersed in that world. I just, want to create a group of people who um, are interested in doing what I do. And then eventually if I create a product that, that I want to sell that is helpful to people, I mean, I'll, I'll do that. And maybe there's some, some of those people will be interested or not, but for now, I just think there are a lot of us, uh, I feel like misfits in a way, like we're sort of out there doing our own things on our own. And then there's not really a place to get together um, for this level. Like the next level seems to be lots of people like surrounding them, like your level, John Dykstra, one hour professor, like you guys have, I feel like you guys have made it right. And people surround you because of that. They want to learn from you and that's great. And then there's those of us who would just like to be comfortable enough to share the story of like, yeah, that was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I think, um, yeah, Facebook group groups are, not my thing. I've definitely gone off on, on them in the past. I don't think I was like in 
many groups where they like were heavily marketing because I, I may, maybe I just never went into them. But I always found that like there were a lot of people who didn't know what the fuck they were talking about giving like very, very convincing advice. And I'm like, I can't handle this. I mean, my personality doesn't fit for Facebook groups anyway, but mm-hmm. or at least like the make money online area. But if it was, yeah, if it was something different, perhaps if it was beer related, I can get on board with that. But, but generally, yeah, there's a lot of people that just like regurgitate information that they don't actually know or understand because it's really easy to do in a Facebook group. So that, that's one of my knocks for such groups. But um, anyway, I think that is a, a great reason to do YouTube. And I think there's no rush to like have the email list or even have a gathering area. I was interviewing um, someone yesterday who has like great podcast. It's coming. The the episode will be coming out soon, but basically um, she has like one of the you know biggest podcasts in her industry and she has not run any ads, right? 200 mm-hmm. episodes, no ads so far. And she's looking into it now that she has her, um, you know, sort of a foothold and she understands what she wants to do and companies that she would feel comfortable standing behind and working with them. And I was like, holy cow. And, and I mean, millions of downloads, like an insane level. And she was just like patient. She didn't need to do anything with it. And I was like, that's a great way to do it. There's no rush. So was that the wife of Mr. 1500? No, a uh, different, wow. different person. Uh, sh- her name is uh, Julie and she hosts the, um, fire drill. So same, uh, industry, same sort of topic area, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, M- Mindy will be soon. Mindy will be coming on soon. So I do pay attention. I have been, I've been, I've been consuming your content. I do. Thank you. By the way, did you, did you watch the, um, Carl Jensen, Mr. 1500 interview? Oh my God. There were so many times in there when I was listening, I, cause I caught it on your um, Stitcher on the podcast. And I, I, there were so many times when I was like, that's so me, um, or where I, I want to be. I mean, I, I'm basically financially independent by choice. Um, and I do it mostly, um, by having, as little expenses as possible. So not extreme financial minimalism because I have kids. There's only so low I can go, but just, you know, living the way I want to um, and not having a, like the mainstream sort of career um, just by making choices about how I live and his comment about going, you know, through the airport and how um, not having a job, um, you know, and having the mental discipline from just not being so worn down and stressed out and tired, like enabled him to look at the board and say, I don't need a $15 sandwich. I'll just wait three hours and then eat later. Or if it was the, the intermittent fasting, just there were so many times when I was like nodding along, like, yeah, you know, cause I'm, I'm going to be 40. Right. And he's what 43 and, you know, it, right, right, like early forties. He's still. Uh, he's oh, forty six now, but he retired when he was forty three. Yeah. yeah, I remember forty three as being the number, and just, and it was there were so many instances in there where I was like, yeah, I mean, I didn't realize that I was one of you guys, but I think I am. Like, right. I think I am. Yep, and I didn't. I mean, I don't dis like Mister Fifteen Hundred for people that want to oh. check out the episode. Um, he publishes his like net worth on there, and he tracked mm-hmm. it from the inception of the blog. I mean, he was doing well already, but 
you know, like it sounds like you, Amelia and myself, we don't realize that we're like doing well. Cause we hear, Oh, you know, you got to have whatever $12 million to retire or something like that mm-hmm. when you're 65 or 70, but really you probably don't need that much. And most likely when you're that age, you're not going to be spending the same as you are now. Hopefully you won't have like the same, like, uh, like cost for housing. Like hopefully like we'll own our homes in like 30 years or whatever. Um, but anyway, yeah, I didn't realize it, but it, at the point where you're like, I understand the spending, we see what we have in, in various accounts, retirement or uh, taxable accounts or otherwise. Um, a lot of us are in, in much better shape as long as, you know, you kind of took some measures pr- probably when we were in our twenties where we were um, like, Oh, we should probably do the 401k thing. That's a good idea. So well, the other thing too, I just really, the comments about uh, living your life now versus living your life for 20 years or 30 years from now just really resonated with me because I mean, I could be a lawyer right now, right? I mean, I could be uh, working a, a regular job and making a, a lot more money than I do right now. I'll just say, but you know, the trade-offs are, I'm, um, I, you know, volunteered this morning in my kids class and I uh, get to see my kids all the time. And I have a lot more freedom to uh, work out and to, to do other things. And so it's just like this trade-off, right. For life. Like it's just living life right now. Um, with the idea that I don't know if there's going to be life later. Like, I don't know if I'm going to have a high quality of life when I'm 70 or 65 or 60 or 50. I mean, I don't know how long I'm going to live. And so just like the thoughts of, okay, I'm, I'm going to make the most of what I have right now. Um, just really, really, it was just nice to hear somebody else say them. Cause I think that all the time, I just to do. Good feedback on that episode. And I hope, and I, I will be bringing on more people from the personal finance area and fire, which is financial independence, uh, retire early. Although you don't like have to retire. Like everyone that I know is doing like, a little something, but it's just on their own terms. It's something they enjoy. Usually they have a lot of freedom with their time. So, mm-hmm. okay. Shifting back into the the real topic, instead of talking about other interviews that I've done, do you have any favorite mistakes that you've made along the journey here? Just one? <laughs> just a few of the favorites. I know you. Pro- we could probably do a round two where you only talk about your mistakes. But yeah, if you have any couple couple faves, you know, it's hard to pick out one as being the the favorite. Um, you mean it's like as far as this journey or my life in general? Um, because I, I ultimately think that every failure, every mistake, every time I tried something and it didn't work was valuable that I wouldn't be at this point right here right now without every one of those stupid, ridiculous things that I did, um, you know, bad decisions, poorly, poorly reasoned decisions, um, you know, things that were uh, spontaneous or impetuous. I mean, every one of those things, um, was like brought me to here, like the whole click funnels rabbit hole. Like I lost money in that initially and I lost a ton of time and the rest, but it put me on the path to this place. And uh, I mean, I, how many websites did I start before I started this case study? I mean, at least over the last three or four years, I probably started six, six websites that, that I either let the, the domain, you know, expire and the hosting expire. Um, only one of them that I, I kept my ClickFunnels affiliate site because I do earn money from that, but 
it's not so much that I would retire on, right? But, you know, I kept the case study site and then I kept that one of the starts that I, the websites that I started and the rest of them, you could call every one of them a mistake, right? Every one of them was poorly thought out or um, I didn't have the knowledge or the expertise to really launch it and make something of it. Um, you know, it, maybe it's, maybe it's a failure, not a mistake. Maybe it wasn't a mistake to do it. It obviously wasn't a mistake to do it because it brought me here. Um, things that I wish that I now that I hadn't done where my life would be um, exactly the same, but for it, or even better, but for it <laughs> is law school. One of those, I think I, I might put law school in that one. I think, uh, you know, being uh, a, a kid, right. In my early twenties, like not really thinking about life and what life would look like as a lawyer and being sort of blinded by what is it? Uh, status and money and the happiness of my parents, you know, without really considering what that would do to me, how that changed me. Um, but for law school, I would be a very different person in every different way. And law school is like, I don't want to say it's like the military because that would be, sort of minimizing what the people in our military go through, but it is a process where they take you in and they break you down and then rebuild you up sort of in the image of what it is that needs to go out and be done out there in that particular field. And so it changed me as a, a person in so many ways. And they actually tell you that in the first week of law school, they set you down literally in this giant room and they have somebody come out and they're like, okay, everybody write this down. When you leave here today, you need to go home and apologize to your family. And we're like, for what? Like, for what you are about to do to them. Because it's true. Like they, they teach you to question everything. They teach you to pull apart everything. They teach you to listen to everything. Do you know any people in this world don't listen at all to the things that other people are saying? And you just talk, 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 and you have somebody who actually listens to you and say, that doesn't make sense. And you see people stop and they're like, what do you mean? I say, that's illogical. Like that, that makes no sense whatsoever. You know, what is the basis for this? Like, what is the reasoning? And they're like, what? Like, what? Like, you really want me to explain why it is that I think this way? I'm like, yeah, like that makes no sense whatsoever. And, and people, lawyers, like law students, they, they start to argue because it's fun, um, because it's enjoyable. It's because we're taught to do but we don't realize at the time that other people don't enjoy that. It's abrasive. It's offensive. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah, you know how people love to to be questioned and, and argue with randos all the time. So, um, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you hopefully got a few uh, wonderful skills from it. I'm sure you're a much better communicator because uh, I think so. Absolutely. And I think that like I have an engineering background, so I don't think my communication was as, as good. I think it's getting better now that I'm spending more time with like words and writing and communicating. But, um, you know, in the engineering areas, I mean, it must be like that in every sort of industry or professional area where it's like you really get like uh, used to that line of thinking and you kind of stick with, you know, logic is is part of it, but I imagine that that runs deep for a lot of different areas. So, Well, to circle back to your question, though, about mistakes, I think one of the things that holds held me back in the beginning in this whole world, and I think it holds a lot of people back, is that they're afraid to make them. 
Uh, you know, putting yourself out there online, like starting a YouTube channel or um, going and doing a Facebook group or coming on this interview, right? Like I'm, I'm not an expert, right? I could be making all kinds of mistakes right now. People may be listening to this and think this gal is an idiot, right? Like, there's no way I'm going to go and follow her or ever do anything, partner with this person in the future. But um, the mistakes is where the learning happens, especially online. And um, I, I talk to people all the time who are like, oh, what's your experience with this? I say, well, you didn't try it? Well, no, it costs $15 a month. Well, then why don't you just try it? That's what I'm doing. I'm just trying it. And then I will know and I don't have to, to accept the representation of somebody who may or may not be trustworthy on YouTube. Um, it's just the, you know, the people are afraid of uh, what wasting money or losing money. And, and of course, you know, we have to be prudent with our money when we're getting into this whole online thing. But if you think of it more like an education, right, like your mistakes are an investment in your education and your experience, then it's, I don't know, maybe it's not so painful. Like people will go and hand their local university a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and then, you know, without blinking an eye, they'll finance it. They'll go in the, the, the hole for 25, 30 years, the rest of their lives for this education, but they are afraid to, spend a hundred dollars a month on a, a potential product that they could learn from and use, and then maybe decide that was a waste of my money, but then they will have used it and they have that experience to utilize in the future. And so I just, if I could tell anybody who's just getting started um, to push down that fear of making mistakes, like just go out there and try it. And if you just like set up a site and try out getting backlinks and if you destroy it, okay, that's great. That didn't work. And then you'll use that in the next time. But if you look at it, like I have to make money this month, you know, I have to succeed right now this month. And I'm afraid to do anything that might harm that. Then it's going to be really difficult to make this a long-term uh, career, which is what I hope that people who are doing this and taking the time to sit and listen to however long this thing is, um, are doing because it's an investment in the long-term health and your future. So, and by the way, are you good on time? We're over our schedule. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I set aside plenty of time because I did tell you in the beginning, right? I'm a stay at home mom and I don't talk to adults all day. So when I do get started, it doesn't stop. Right. I kept a telemarketer on the phone the other day. They were just talking and I was like, Oh, Hey, you know, what are you doing? And they're like, we have to go now. <laughs> they shut you down. Basically, okay. <laughs> and I think um, you make a great point. I know that people are afraid to make those mistakes, but yeah, it's it's part of the game. You 100% will definitely make mistakes, so it's okay. Oh, yeah. Just try to make it a mistake that's recoverable. And, and most mistakes are recoverable. Um, mm -hmm. Like even the backlink example that you mentioned, like you can disavow and the the backlinks if there's some issue with it. Like most most things are recoverable. So as long as you're not making a catastrophic level mistake, it's just a thing that you learn from and you know try not to do it again. Basically. Well, you know, part of my audience on YouTube um, is following this whole website investing sort of topic and subject, and I know you don't do a lot of that. Um, but a lot of people recently have come to my channel because of the videos that I've been making about the outcome of the income store, like collapse and how that is. And so I've been talking Before to you a lot on. of people. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. Can you just describe income store in the in a brief way for people that have sure. never heard of it? I'm sort of been living this story, so it, it, I forget that not everybody in the world knows what is going on with this. But um, Income Store was uh, marketed themselves as a, a group where if you wanted to get into website and investing, right, you wanted to to own or to have a website that produced income passively every single month that you could give them money and then they would go and find the site for you and then they would manage it for you and then split the revenue with you, the profits uh, every month, basically in perpetuity. And so they were advertising on XM radio and they had billboards and they're going around the country and just soliciting investors. Uh, but they, people weren't supposed to be investing in the company. They were giving income store money on, under a contract and that money should have been held separate and then used to buy a website and then income store would run it. And so that's how they marketed themselves and what ended up happening. Um, and, and I say allegedly because they haven't come out and said this, but um, they got to a point where they had to shut down their business and the government shut them down. The SEC shut them down because income store uh, wasn't able to, uh, make good on their promises to pay the revenue out to the site partners, the people who had invested, uh, they didn't really invest in the company. Again, they, they gave their money as a deposit on the websites that were going to be purchased. But what happened was the, they got upside down in um, their payments because they guaranteed these payments. And so then uh, new website partners were coming in and giving Income Store um, their money to buy a site. And instead of buying the site, Income Store was using those funds to pay out previous investors. So they could um, like make their guaranteed payments because the guarantee was what made them made this whole thing secure and attractive. It says, you give us our money and it doesn't matter if we have a site for you. We will pay you at least a certain amount of money a month. And it came to my attention because uh, somebody who had been following my channel, uh, you know, said, hey, I just got into this. I just gave them $100,000. I think you should, too. Um, you know, it's really great. They guarantee everything. I'm going to start getting my payments in month four. It's going to be awesome. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, at the time, I thought, well, if these guys are legit, think of all the people who I see who come through my YouTube channel who are beginners, who are really interested in um, website investing, but they're afraid of making that mistake, right? That unrecoverable mistake. So they're trying to hedge their risk. Let's go with a company that has tons of experience that will guarantee the payments that they will hold the money aside and they'll, you know, give you, a, you know, approval rights over the sites that you're going to buy. And they're only going to buy sites from brokers. And this is going to be safe. This is going to be secure. And then it turns out that they were giving their money to a company that wasn't doing anything that they said they were doing. And if uh, you, you probably haven't read the court documents, but basically the, the company was using that money uh, for a, it's like a slush fund, right? Like you were investing in income store, you know, they were upside down, but they, but in the last year they gave $500,000 to charity. They uh, were, uh, you know, paying for meals and plane tickets. They were paying out site partners and they took in what at least, $91 million. Wow. Crazy. Somebody quoted the number as $131 million, And they owe the majority of it to investors. Wow. Right now. So, well, that, that was a long, that was a long. Hey, no, sorry, I'm <laughs> but that, I mean, you, you described it really well. And I a hundred percent was never heard of it. 
didn't know any of it until I think um, maybe a couple of your videos popped up and I watched a couple minutes because, again, I didn't know what it was. I, I didn't know that they were advertising nationally or the scope of the amount of money. But in my I mean, it's basically you described a Ponzi scheme, right? Like that's literally what it is like. Per that's definition. What the, that's the receiver, and that's what the government is calling it is okay. a Ponzi scheme. Okay. And in my head, just it's easy for me to sit here and say it now that it, you just told me the whole story, but I'm like, no investment is like guaranteed. Like that's just bananas. And since I know like websites and the volatility is even more insane. I mean, I guess they were selling it well and they had, they were, they're master marketers. And yeah, it's, it's a shame, especially like, I mean, there's no, basically probably like no recourse for people that lost the whatever 90 plus million dollars. Um, yeah, that's terrible. But in my head, I'm just like, yeah, if anything seems like too good to be true with like guaranteed returns, like total bullshit. Like I, I would just not, tr I don't trust anyone. I'm so skeptical of anything. So in my head, I'm just yeah, like, no, you, you weren't like their market. Like, they weren't targeting people like you who already had experience running a website and, and, you know, people who already knew about Google and about website operation. I mean, we're not that target audience. The target audience is people who are on the outside looking in the words passive, the words guaranteed. Um, you know, these were a, you know, married couple, um, you know, the wife, uh, Carrie Courtright was in politics you know, graduated from they like Pepperdine Business School, like featured, um, you know, the like big names on YouTube were interviewing them. And I mean, they, you know, they basically hit every single trust signal that they could possibly hit to, to snag people who were like looking for things that were passive and guaranteed and easy and um, investment. And, you know, it's like the volatility of the stock market versus this other return, you know, and it's like, if you do buy and sell and websites and website investing, you'll see plenty of content out there where people will go in and buy a site and then uh, will uh, the ROI on it will be like 50%, 70% in the first year. Like there's a lot of amazing things you can do in website investing. And so 15% when compared to 80%, it seems really conservative, right? Like, Oh, you know, 15% in a year, like that's a small amount. That seems like a, a reasonable amount for a company that is one of the, the fastest growing companies in the, in, in the country that, uh, you know, has revenues of millions of dollars in a year. And I mean, they just hit every single one of the buttons. Like just hit it. Crazy. Well, we'll link up to uh, your series of videos on the topics so people could like do a little investigating themselves. Well, the reason I brought this up was talking about like the irrecoverable, irrecoverable mistakes, right? Like that's the point of bringing this up. Like I didn't, I mean, I, the, I don't know that everybody who's watching this is the income store stuff is going to be interesting to them at all, but it is sort of one of those examples of where people, when they go out to, to try something, you know, it's like a hundred thousand dollars, you know, that's, that was the minimum investment there at the very end in the last year was somebody had to come in with a hundred grand to try out for the first time uh, to invest in a website. Uh, you know, so you say, oh, hedging your bets and being conservative about your risks. Like people ask me a lot, like, how do I get into this? And I say, well, first of all, nobody who uh, wants to invest in websites should be someone who has never operated a website before. 
Like I tell everybody, and I'll say it over and over again, if you've never bought a website before, you should go to Bluehost or go to GoDaddy or whatever and buy a domain, um, you know, get hosting, set up WordPress and just see what it looks like. Because I don't want to, I mean, we won't even go down the road of due diligence, right? So to know what a website is worth, you probably, you could pay someone else to do that for you. But if you don't have like the basic understanding, you're just trusting that whoever you're paying is being honest or is being, um, or is right. Like their expertise, that it's right. If you have no basis whatsoever to, um, to try. And so like, you know, probably you start your first website, it's going to be crap, right? I mean, all of us, I think all of us, our first websites that we start are probably crap. I don't care who you follow or what course you do, like you're going to destroy it somehow. I mean, that's just how it's inevitable, but all that stuff that you learn when you, you know, do this two or three times and then you say, okay, well, I'm ready to invest in something. You know, you start small and you say, okay, this may not be the site. Like this may not be the best investment of my money, but I say, okay, well, I'd rather invest a hundred thousand dollars over time in my education in this versus throwing it all in on black on one site, having no, yeah. no, no knowledge whatsoever. Like at least if I do it now, I know what the risks are. And if it blows up in my face, it's because I made that call based upon what I knew and I knew the risks of it yeah so. yeah and hopefully the the couple that you were talking about that threw in the 100k i imagine it's a bad mistake but hopefully they have hundreds of other thousands of dollars um if they were able to throw 100k into an investment that was like so speculative speculative <laughs> well you know some of the folks are and I think some people will be taking this experience and learning from it. Like for them, it is a small mistake, right? Like my $1,500 I spent on Flippa was a small mistake. And for them, maybe a hundred grand or even 500 grand, something that won't kill them. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of groups, um, a lot of people, like there's uh, several young couples who are like, all right, this is the ticket. We're going to save up a whole bunch of money. And then we're going to do this. This is, we're going to jump in on this, you know? So it was income store wasn't doing anything to, um, verify for accredited investors. Like they have tons of people who Mm -hmm. put in money that couldn't have invested in, um, you know, in angel funds or, you know, bot stock in these startups because they just didn't have enough assets overall. Like they weren't accredited investors. And Mm -hmm. so there are a lot of people who unfortunately are really hurting by this, like really hurt by this. And that's, I think why when the CEO or the former CEO, the Ken Courtright, the, the principal, had like the face of this was indicted last week. And there were a lot of people who were really thrilled by that because they just don't see that they're ever going to get their money back. And they want him and everyone else involved to pay. Like they're really, really hurt by this. Damn. Yeah. So terrible, terrible story, but we could learn from it. We could learn from it. We can. I mean, there's so much that can be learned in this, uh, the website investing industry. You know, and the other thing that gets me is the website operators and the people who are building sites. They say, well, I'm not interested at all in the content for website investing. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not I'm not looking to buy a site. And I say, well, do you think that you might ever want to sell your site? Like, do you think that maybe as an exit, you might want to do that? Then maybe you should know what it takes or what buyers are looking for, because then you can actually set up your site in the future to be a viable asset for sale. Like that's not something that you're going to fix in a day or a week or a month. Like you know what buyers are looking for so that you can build that. I mean, building up an affiliate site 
for a sale, that's a viable strategy. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So shifting a little bit from the mistakes area into what's gone well. So do you have any like favorite things where you're like, man, this actually worked out just like I was hoping or better? (laughs) Oh gosh, you know, I feel like so many of my projects right now are in progress. So it's hard to say that I've got like this win and like, Oh, um, I do think that the case study, um, you know, just the really hyper-focused on informational, uh, low competition keywords. I think that's going really well and I'm really excited about it. Um, but so much else right now is in progress. Like that's the thing in the beginning, it's so hard to come across really big wins, right? The, the ones where you say, you know, this is motivating and this is what's going to keep me going. And I'm going to go to sleep thinking about this to get fired up, to go to work in the next morning. You know, in the beginning, there just aren't a lot of those things. Like I don't have a ton where I can come in and say, yeah, I'm super proud of that. And this really worked. Like right now, I think what I'm working on is working, but I I don't feel like I've gotten to a point where I can say, you know, yeah, like when, like, like, uh, you know, getting my case study um, to a hundred dollars a month, just with ad revenue, like that felt like a big win to take it, uh, you know, from earning just a couple dollars with AdSense and then moving it over to Azoic and having it bumped up to hundred dollars a month. Like that felt like a win, right? Like, like that was a good decision. Like that was a good risk, tried something new. And then it did like 25 times the revenue in a month. You know, it wasn't quite that it was like four times. I think it was making between 25 and $30 a month. And then it bumped to just over hundred dollars a month and ad revenue. Like that was, that felt really good. But in the scheme of things, like the big guys are like a hundred dollars a month. Like, like what else, you know? It's, it's really good. That's just one one day out drinking. So, um, <laughs> I think it's like a step, though. It's a yes. step to where I want to go. Yep, and I I will fill in some some things for you. So, and, and that sounds normal, by the way, where you're like, ah, you know what? There's there's no like home runs, but you have a site that you started from scratch that's getting what like 800 visitors a day. So uh, not quite. That's Ron. Mine is 600 and some 600. So 600 mm-hmm. visitors a day, which is really good. You're within uh, stone's throw, very close to, you know, a thousand visitors a day. And yeah. it's just over a year old at this point. Is that right? 10 months, 10 months. Um, word on the street is sometimes there is a second sandbox at 12 months. And if you've, you kicked off like work again, I wouldn't be surprised if you got some more traffic, um, you know, once you hit the 12 month period, 13 months, something like that. So, so you see a sandbox before 12 months or after, or like right at, uh, right at 12 months, I think. Cause I definitely did notice the, the Google algorithm change that they announced in mid January, like around the 11th, 12th, 13th. Like I definitely saw a dip for two or three days there. And then it's slowly been coming back up. And I don't know if it's because of content or just sort of the waves like riding out. Gotcha. And yeah, I wouldn't, with the more frequent algorithm updates, it is a little hard, harder to decipher. Um, but it may, it may coincide with like the one year point as well, Mm -hmm. where it's like another algorithm update comes the site's one year old. And then you're like, Oh wow, there's, there's more, but usually like, like most things, the more work you've been putting into it, like the more that compounds. And then when you come out of those sandboxes, six and 12 months, good things usually happen. So, 
And um, yeah, so there, there's that. I think that's going well for you. And then you're talking to me now um, for a YouTube video and the podcast. So I'd say your YouTube channel is paying off. There's a lot of people that are watching your videos and that's, you know, why we're talking. So that's going good. I think oh, you're saying I'm doing it. <laughs> you're, you're doing it. It'll, the problem is it never feels like it. It never feels like it. So, no. so it's, like, it's like when you're like, you have what, 17,000 subscribers and you have all your stuff. Like, do you feel like you've made it? Uh, no, no, it, it never. Yeah. It never goes away. It's like, it's, it's fine, but it's the, um, you know, just the, the human, the human spirit that continually adapts and, uh, you know, it's good. I appreciate it. I appreciate all the people that, that listen and or watch, but, um, yeah, it, it doesn't hit me until, um, I've been trying to teach a few sessions at the co-working space here. And I thought two or three people were going to show up for my SEO talk. And there were like 12 in the middle of the day and people drove from, you know, kind of far away, um, to, to check it out. And I was like, Oh, wow. I, I had no clue. People wanted you to listen to me talk. You get, do you have trolls like on your YouTube channel? Like people who like type things like you suck or like anything like that? Um, occasionally there's a few, usually the spam filter is really good. Like, and yeah. it, it kicks out the offensive messages, um, for the most part, but I, th I may put out, maybe I publish too many videos and it's hard for people to actually like keep up <laughs> to heckle me. So, well, you know, what's so funny is because I had somebody, what, a couple weeks ago who this person subscribed to my channel and then he left comments on my videos, like, no one cares about your videos, but then he stayed subscribed. Like he didn't unsubscribe. Like he stayed and I actually followed him back to his channel just to check it out. Like, who is this guy? Like who has time to just leave comments like this and do this? <laughs> but he stayed subscribed and he just, it's like, who cares? Nobody cares about your videos. I'm like, is this what you do all day? Like, like well, really? And, and the other, the other problem with it, and I have a friend named, um, Alex Cooper over at WP Eagle, and he is experiencing um, like a, a rash of like dislike or un yeah, yeah, dislike. People yeah. are clicking the thumbs down basically, like right when videos go public. And he's like, huh. this person's obviously subscribed. They're getting a notification and then they're coming out here to dislike the video. And I had that for a little while too. Um, but like I said, I guess at some point people were like, oh, I don't, I don't even care about Doug enough to uh, dislike his videos. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It takes like, it takes effort, right. To watch a video all the way through or to watch at least part of it. And then to leave a negative comment, like, and that actually signals positive <laughs> things to YouTube, by the way, like yeah. somebody's going to watch your video, yeah. even if they're going to hate on it, it tells YouTube to show it to other people. Yeah. And, and if they're following the link, YouTube also knows that they like the notifications and then yeah. they'll keep sending more of them. So yeah, it's pretty funny. It, it takes, it does take effort to go and do that. And the other problem, um, now I'm just talking about myself and then we'll move on. The other problem is, um, like you don't know if the, the troll, the heckler is like a teenage teenager or basically a kid who is just wasting your time so it's really hard to tell if i'm dealing with like a uh an adult with all their faculties or a kid who is just messing with me yeah and an I, eight -year -old. it could be an eight-year-old it doesn't have to be a teenager it literally could be a small child 
yeah, and it's it's tough sometimes. So, all right. Well, where can people find you, Amelia? Well, right now, the easiest place to find me is probably over on YouTube. Uh, I don't maintain a website. Uh, if you search my name, you will find lots of old lawyer stuff, um, which I'm not affiliated with at all. And thinking about it now, um, people may call my old law firm to try to find me and they don't even know who I am anymore. So don't bother with that. I would tell you to go to YouTube. And then um, people also Facebook message me quite a bit. Um, I don't I don't, I'm not building a following on Facebook. So people try to friend me on Facebook a lot and I ignore them. Um, but people can always DM me on Facebook and I talk to a lot of people there. Um, and then also I spend a lot of time in the comments in my YouTube videos and I answer a lot of questions there and um, had a lot of really great conversations there. So right now that's where I would tell people to go. My, like I said, my affiliate marketer friends are probably cringing. They're like, you don't have a an opt-in page or like a, a hero page or anything. Um, it's on the list. I just am so concerned about uh, being authentic, right? Like really focusing, hyper-focused on um, just not taking advantage of people. And, and and that's the thing that is highlighted by this whole income store thing is they, they took advantage of vulnerable people, like people who were um, really, really motivated to get into this and were really, really um sensitive, like sensitive is the wrong word, but it's just like, they were really, really the right people to be taken in by this scam. And vulnerable is not the right word either because they're not elderly. You know, a lot of these people are really highly educated, uh, you know, like businessmen and women, but they just, that particular marketing, just, it just sucked them right in. And I guess I've just gone far to the other side, which is, um, you know, I, I only uh, recommend products on my YouTube channel that I use or have used like people who like to be an affiliate for products that have um, a really uh, good um, payout, right? That the commissions are really high. They'll recommend anything as long as the commission is high. Like if I don't use it, I'm not going to recommend it. I won't talk about it. Somebody the other day said, Hey, if you send me your, uh, your affiliate link for this hosting product, um, I'll use your link. And it was a hosting program that I don't use. I said, sorry, you know, I know this would have been a big commission for me, but I don't use that. And so I'm not an affiliate for them and I'm, I'm not going to go and sign up for them just to take your money because I don't know if that's a good idea for you to use it because I haven't used it. So it does kind of cut off, I think, some maybe some earning potential for me. But because I'm more focused on this community aspect and more focused on trying to to build sort of a network of people who are in the same place. And, and really, I mean, I'm getting what I need from these people, like the interaction, like connecting with you. I would have never done this, but for YouTube, right? I mean, it's just connecting with you because of those videos and because of being involved in similar aspects, maybe not the same, but like this has a lot of value. So I'll be so much more motivated after this video is over, after it goes live or whatever, to go back to my computer and to do the work that I have set out for myself to do. And so maybe I'm, I'm foregoing that money, maybe now, but hopefully in the long term, it will help me build something that's much more valuable and, and greater overall. So, so Definitely. yeah, so answer your question, find me on YouTube. Yep. Go to YouTube and I'll do you a favor. Uh, don't send Amelia any Facebook messages. Cause like the, they're too hard to manage. Like right now, I think I have like over a thousand like friend requests. I try to hop in there just to see if it's like someone I actually know from the real world. But mm -hmm. most of the time it's just randos that I have no, idea who they are or anything like that. So yeah, I ignore them. 
And then like, if you send me a message, I probably don't get it. Um, like on Facebook. So yeah, I'll do you a favor. You don't, you don't want people sending you messages on there. So, all right. The one thing I will say though, is that people who, um, who like the idea of chatting like this, like talking about um, their websites who are in the beginner stages. Like I'm really happy to do that here on YouTube. Like I would love to talk to more people who um, either want to talk about their sites or they want to talk through ideas. I don't want to call it a coaching call because I don't think of it like coaching. Like let's talk about sites. Let's talk about business. And I think a lot of people get a lot of value out of it. Just like what we're doing here. I got a ton of value out of this, even though I just sat here and ran my mouth for what, close to two hours about God knows what <laughs> we've been going for a while. It makes the interview easier. Usually my, my throat gets sore from talking so much, but I didn't have to that much in this one. So well, somebody earlier was asking me, they were like, uh, are you nervous about going on this, uh, doing this interview? And I was like, no, he's not asking me to talk about anything. I'm not an expert in, and I'm an expert in me. I could talk about me for days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, Okay. Thanks, Amelia. Appreciate your time today. It's been a Thanks pleasure. And everybody check her out on YouTube. And uh, maybe we'll bring her on for a round two to follow up on some of the case studies in play. Well, that was a pretty long interview. We got into a groove and we just kept on talking. So I'm not going to ramble on much here just going to let this one stand. If you're brand new to the show and this was your first episode, that's fantastic. This was a meaty one. You should definitely check out some of the other episodes out there, especially the success stories. Those seem to be the most popular by far. People really dig them. They listen to them multiple times, which is really cool. And if you're already subscribed to the channel... This is a podcast. If you're already subscribed to the podcast, that's fantastic. Think about leaving a review or even better, tell a friend. I'd rather have more listeners than reviews. If you do both, that's really cool too. And I I gave it away. I have a YouTube channel as well. So you can check that out if you just look over at Doug Cunnington or if you search for Doug Cunnington, you'll probably see that YouTube channel. And I appreciate you checking that out too. So have a great day out there. We'll catch you in the next episode. 